So I was reading this article um, online that was titled 10 Things You Regret When You're Old. 10 Things You Will Regret When You're Old. I thought these were pretty interesting. I wanted to give them to you in no particular order. But number one, 10 Things You'll Regret When You're Old. Number one, not traveling when you had the chance. Number two, you'll regret missing the chance to see your favorite musician. Anybody still got a bucket list concert you haven't seen yet? So last year or two years ago, I don't remember when it was, uh, my wife, who's incredible, got me tickets to go see James Taylor. That was bucket list for me. Any James Taylor fans in the house? Every song sounds the same, and I don't even care. I just, <laughs> I just want that same song every time. Just play that. So um, that was good. So uh, he was the original JT. Yeah, James Taylor was the original JT. All right, number three. Uh, you'll regret failing to make physical fitness a priority. Let's move on. Number four, <laughs> you'll regret not quitting a terrible job. So that may be the only sermon some of y'all need right there. It's time to quit a terrible job, get something else. Number five, you'll regret being afraid to say I love you. Number six, neglecting your teeth. You'll regret that according to this list. It's true. Number seven, not learning how to cook one awesome meal. Uh, that's pretty fun right there. I've, I've been working on that. Uh, number eight, not playing with your kids enough, which is so hard to remember, isn't it, parents? It's like Jim Gaffigan says it's like reverse kidnapping. You're like, just stay in the room. Just get in there. You're like, ah. Yeah, anyway. Um, number nine, not mastering one awesome party trick. I don't know. That's on the list. And then uh, number 10, 10 things you'll regret when you're old. You will regret that you were too scared to take a risk. You were too scared to take a risk. Now, I just got back from two days in Vegas, and that's the risk-taking capital of the world. Uh, they're very familiar with the phrase, all in. The idea of betting it all, chancing it all, taking a risk. And so for the next two weeks... I want to talk about being all in. Everybody say all in. all in. I want to talk about being all in in our relationship with God. And I want to talk about being all in in the relationship with our church. All in. You know, it's so easy to be kind of in, isn't it? It's so easy to live like the hokey pokey. You just kind of one leg in, one leg out, one leg in, one leg out. Like think about your life, how easy it is to be kind of in. Like we're all kind of on a diet right now. We're kind of in the middle of a diet right now. Uh, we're kind of dating somebody. We're not official, but we're kind of seeing each other. We're in between jobs, maybe. I might go, you know, like, I, I don't know, I may go. Like, I'm just not sure I want to commit. I'm just not sure that I want to be all in. But the reason that it's important to be all in in life is because extraordinary results don't come from half-hearted commitment. Extraordinary results don't come from half-hearted commitments. There is no athlete at the Olympics the next two weeks who kind of just practiced a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there, there's nobody at the Olympics right now who are like, I mean, I don't know if I really want to do this or not, but I'll just give it a try. No, no, they are all in. They're practicing every bit. Uh, and, and some of the athletes, depending on the sport, pay their own way to go down there and, and, and do I mean, they are all in because they know that extraordinary results don't come from half-hearted commitment. So where in your life are you not seeing extraordinary results? 
I would say you, don't have, you have half-hearted commitment. You're not all in. So he's like, Jason, I want an extraordinary marriage. Guess what? You got to be all in. You got to be all in. He said, Jason, I want to have an extraordinary career. You can't show up late and leave early. You can't keep bouncing around. You got to be all in that thing. You say, Jason, I want extraordinary health or physical appearance. Guess what? You got to be all in. You got to be all in. If you want to have a growing, gratifying, extraordinary relationship with God, guess what you got to be? All in. You got to be all in. And so that's what we're going to talk about today for this first week of all in, is we're going to talk about um, being all in in our relationship with God. Four years ago, I stepped on a scale at 28 years old, and I weighed 215 pounds. Now, I'm not putting this on you. I'm not judging you. Everybody's got different standards. I'm just saying for me, at 28 years old, I realized that at the pace I was going, I was going to be pretty close to 300 pounds by the time I was 30 years old. And that was never my goal. I'm being serious. That was never my goal. Uh, I graduated high school at 150. So I'm trajecting upward here, and it's going fast. And so uh, that morning, I, it scared me to death. And so I uh, went to the local gym and I hired me a personal trainer because I needed somebody who would be tougher on me than me. And, and so I hired a guy named Curtis who looked like he was like an ice sculpture chiseled. He was pretty ripped. And I'm like, I want to look like Curtis, which I never made it, uh-huh, obviously. <laughs> but um, so uh, we made some progress, but we never got to Curtis level. So, um, so we sit down and he says, okay, what are your, tell me your goals. Like, well, what's, your, what's your fitness goals? I said, well, really, I just, I just have one. I just want, I'd like to weigh 175 pounds. I'm, I'm 215. I'd like to lose 40 pounds. I'd like to weigh 175 pounds. And when I said 175, like, I thought I was being a little bit audacious. Like, I know this is crazy, but I'd like to be 175 pounds. He didn't laugh. He didn't blink. He was like, okay. He said, that's no problem. We can get you to, we can get you to 175 in a few months. He said, but you have to do exactly what I tell you to do. Then he told me it was going to cost me money. Can you believe that? I had to pay him for me to get in shape. And so I began to pay him and I began to do everything that he said. So he asked me lots of questions about my current eating habits. And then he told me after listening to my eating habits, he said, Jason, there are a lot of things that need to change. But for now, I want you to do one thing. I just want you to do one thing right now. I said, what's that? He said, stop eating fast food. And I, I kind of laughed. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, no, I'm being dead serious. Stop eating fast food. I was like, okay. What about Chick-fil-A? That's spiritual. He's like, no, <laughs> not eating fast. God, God blesses Chick-fil-A. Anyway, so, um, so, so he's in no more fast food. And so I did what Curtis said because I was paying Curtis. And so um, for two or three weeks, sure enough, I did not eat fast food. And I know that ladies get mad at men when we decide to lose weight and actually lose weight really quickly. But I stopped eating fast food and my body was in such shock that I was losing weight pretty quickly. But after two or three weeks, we, I sat back down with Curtis and he said, hey, you're doing a good job. You're not eating fast food. I can tell. I said, that's right. He said, of course, we're going to continue to exercise. I said, that's right. He said, but there's one thing that I want you to start doing. I want you to do this one thing. If you'll do this one thing, you're going to see 
results. I said, what is it? He said, don't eat any food after 6 p.m. I said, what about 11.30 Frosted Flakes? He said, no, you cannot eat cereal. Anybody like cereal late at night? Anybody? Who eats cereal in the morning? I want it at midnight. At our house, we buy daddy's cereal and kid's cereal. Don't touch daddy's cereal. That's how we do it at our house. He said, no, I'm serious. Don't eat after 6 p.m. And it was tough. He said, if you get really hungry, eat a few grapes. I just started laughing. Like, okay, a few grapes, all right. So, you know what? It was tough, but I did it. I did what he said. And guess what? Curtis was right again. And every few weeks, he would sit me down and would give me a tweak. Or, or he would give me a new priority to focus on each time. And, and every time I would follow his instructions, guess what I saw? I saw results. Now, if I would have sat down with Curtis at the beginning and he would said, look, we're going to exercise three days a week. You're not eating fast food anymore. Don't eat after 6 p.m. And you're going to start liking grapes. Like if he would have told me all that, I probably would have been so intimidated and overwhelmed I wouldn't have made any progress. But what I loved about what Curtis did is he said, I just want you to focus on one thing. Keep showing up, and I want you to, for the next two or three weeks, I want you to do this one thing. So I kept doing it, and after eight months, I had lost 40 pounds, and I had hit my goal, which was pretty exciting. And I could give you other examples just like that. Like, I could tell you about the time that I went and got some golf lessons, and the golf instructor said, Jason, you're doing 19 things right, but you're doing this one thing wrong, and it's messing you up. And if you could just fix this one thing, you could be a scratch golfer. And he was right. And I think what happens is anytime we want to see real change in our life, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel uh, intimidated because there's so many problems to fix or to address, right? But the best coaches, the best teachers, the best instructors are the best because they're able to take everything that needs to be worked on and everything that needs to change and they're able to focus it down into into one thing that you need to work on and the best athletes in the world have coaches I hope you're not against learning because if you play in the NFL you got a you got a tight ends coach an offensive line coach an offensive coordinator and a head coach and you're just one position because they know they need somebody to make them better and they're telling them what to focus on they, they can narrow it down. They can focus it on one thing. And maybe you're thinking, Jason, that's easier said than done. You don't know my problems. I don't have just one big problem, Jason. My son is on drugs. He doesn't have a job. He plays video games all day, and he doesn't respect me. I have got way more than just one problem. Or maybe you would say, Jason, my marriage, my, my spouse doesn't talk to me. We're in financial trouble, and I think they may be having an affair. We have so many problems, not just one problem. Maybe as you look at your life, you think, I'm overweight, unorganized, unemployed, and depressed, Jason. It's not just one, it's not just one thing. Everybody say one thing. Well, for the time we have left today, I want to talk about one thing. One thing. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of one thing that Andrea is talking about when she says she needs to run to Target and pick up one thing. <laughs> you feel me, fellas? Like, we're not talking about that kind of one thing, all right? Because that's never one thing. There's a story in Luke chapter 18 that's about one thing. It's a conversation between Jesus and a young man, 
And it's going to challenge us today. It's going to push us today a little bit to stop ignoring our one thing. Come on, everybody say it, one thing. Now, let me just say this before we jump in, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you today. Like a great coach, like a great, like a great instructor, I'm going to push you today, all right? I'm going to get up in your business just a little bit. I, I'm going to encourage you, but I'm also going to challenge you because I believe with all of my heart that God wants your life to see extraordinary results. I believe that God has extraordinary plans for your life. I believe that God has extraordinary miracles, extraordinary miracles he wants to do in your life. I believe that your life has extraordinary purpose to it. But we don't get extraordinary from half-hearted commitment. So I want to challenge you today. When it gets a little uncomfortable, I want you to lean in. Come on, today we're going to lean in. Go ahead and get something out to take notes because you don't know it all. So go ahead and get a pen and a piece of paper. Get your phone out. Get ready to take some notes because we're saying to God, God, I want to be teachable today. I want to learn today. I want to be better. I want extraordinary results. So go ahead and get some stuff out. We're going to lean in. We're going to focus. We're going to take some notes. And here's what I'd like for us to do. I want to just start by repeating a prayer together. We're going to repeat this prayer together. You ready? Here's the prayer. God... I want everything you have for me. Are you ready? Say that with me. God, I want everything you have for me. One more time, say it. Come on. God, I want everything you have for me. All right, now you just told him, so he's going he's gonna to let you have everything that he wants for you. But we got to be all in, okay? Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18, here's what it says. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And probably pretty enthusiastically realizing that he had passed the test, the young man replied, I've done all that since I was young. I did it. I got it. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still, what does that say? One thing. There's still one thing you haven't done. I believe everyone in the room today has one thing. You, you say, Jason, I got lots of things. Now, I believe that the way God works on you and me and the way that he challenges you and me, the way the Holy Spirit convicts you and me, is I believe everybody in this room has one thing. One thing. You've given God 80% of yourself or 90% of yourself, but like this guy in the story, Jesus says there's still one thing. Thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. I would say extraordinary treasure. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad because he wasn't all in. Now, don't get nervous. This is not a message about selling everything you have and giving it to the poor. Unless you feel really convicted right now, and that's your one thing, and that's exactly what this message is about. 
But everybody has one thing. And just like the, the young man in this story, if you have a Bible, probably the heading says rich young ruler or rich or you know, young religious leader or whatever. Just like the guy in this story, all we're in church today, so we're trying. We're trying to serve God. We're trying to not lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, honor our father and mother. We're trying to do all that stuff. And we're all on different places in this journey and on this scale. We're trying. And so we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, how am I doing? And, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than I was. I'm, you know, I'm not doing what I used to be doing. But we all know, we think about it, we feel it in our heart, we think about it when we pray, it comes up in your mind every time I'm preaching, it comes up in conversations with different people. We all know that there is that one closet in the back of our heart that has that one thing in it that we are terrified to let God have. One thing. You've got it, I've got it, we all have one thing. I love you, I trust you, kind of, but not enough to really give you this, to trust you with this. And that's what's happening in this story. Jesus says there's one thing. Either God is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. That's what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Dangers of a Shallow Faith. Either God is Lord of all or he isn't Lord at all. We are right where this guy was. We want to follow Jesus. We want eternal life. We want full life. But we're desperately hoping that Jesus doesn't show up and say, you're doing good, but can we talk about this one thing? So here's what I want to do for about 10 minutes left this morning is I want to ask you four questions about your one thing. I'm going to ask you four questions. Write these four questions down, and I want you to keep these in front of you, and I want you to answer these for yourself. Four questions to help us be all in. You ready? Number one, first question is this. Are you asking questions? So the first question is, are you asking questions? Now, I know this story doesn't end well for this guy, but at least we could start out by giving him a little bit of a shout-out and saying, at least he showed up and was asking Jesus how he could have eternal life. Nobody else in the scripture showed up and did this. So at least this guy shows up and says, hey, how can I be better? How can I have eternal life? How can I follow you? You can always tell how hungry someone is to learn by whether they ask questions or just talk about what they've done or accomplished or about themselves. Anybody ever had a conversation with somebody who just talked about themselves? Anybody? Yeah. Not hungry to learn, not teachable. You can always tell how hungry somebody is by whether or not they're asking questions. So how hungry are you to learn? How hungry are you to improve? How many questions are you asking? Are you asking the question, how can I have a better marriage? Are you asking the question, how can I move up in the company? Are you asking the question, how can I be a better parent? Are you asking the question, how can I be closer to God? Because if you're not asking the question, you'll never find the answer. you got to ask the question to get the answer. And as a pastor, I have people who meet with me all the time after everything goes crazy in their life. After everything blows up and I will be here for you. I love you. I'm your pastor. We'll try to put the pieces back together. But very rarely do I ever have somebody set up an appointment like, hey, everything's good. I just want to ask how I can be better. Hey, everything's fine. I just want to know, like, can you help? How do I have a better marriage? Like, our marriage is good. How can we have a better marriage? My kids are doing great, but how can I be a better parent? 
my relationship with God's going pretty good, but how can I have a better relationship with God? Are you asking questions? When's the last time you read a nonfiction book or an audio book? When's the last time you went to counseling or a conference? You didn't have to go. When's the last time you listened to a podcast? When's the last time you took someone to dinner who is where you want to be and asked them how they got there? Are you asking questions? Second question. Are you looking for answers or affirmation? Are you looking for answers or affirmation? Because this guy shows up to Jesus and he's like, hey, what do I need to do? He's asking the question. And Jesus says, well, don't do this, 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 and this. And he's like, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. And Jesus didn't stop right there. Jesus wasn't like, yeah, you are, buddy. You're doing good. Good job. Proud of you. Because Jesus is never afraid if we're willing, if we'll let him. Jesus is always going to press in on the area of our life that we don't want to talk about. And, and so are you looking for answers or affirmation? We live in such a selfie culture. Hey, like this or retweet that. And if we're not careful, we can position ourselves around people who only affirm us but never challenge us. Only affirm us and never challenge us. And it makes sense. I mean, who doesn't like affirmation? I do. You do. Everybody likes to be bragged on. Everybody likes to be complimented. I am married to one of the most encouraging, complimenting, affirming women ever. She's unbelievable. And you have to actually round down her compliments. Because if she says, like, it was the best ever, it's like, it was good. It was good, right? And so... And so one Sunday, like last year or something, two years ago, I can't remember, I preached, honestly, the worst message I've ever preached in my life. Like 10 minutes in, I'm like, how can we wrap this up? Like, let's just pray and send everybody home. Like, can we give their offering back? Like, what do we need to do? Like, this is terrible. And which we don't do that for bad sermons, by the way. Anyway, so, um, and so after service, like, I just crawled in my car. Like, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I don't want, you know, I'm just like, I'm just sitting in the car while everything else is happening. And Andrea comes and she gets in the car and like, I'm, I'm ready. I need my cheerleader. I need my affirmer. I need my champion to build me up like you do. She's like, how you feeling? I said, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. She goes, yeah. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh, if you think that it was worse than that. And then she said, well, listen, babe, you can't hit home runs every week. Sometimes you just got to hit singles and put people on base. I said, whoa, wait a second. Incredible sports analogy. I am so proud of you right now. But don't ever say that again. Don't ever say that again. But everybody likes affirmation. Everybody likes to be complimented. But if you're only ever being complimented or affirmed, you're never going to grow because compliments don't grow us. Confrontation does. Twelve years ago, I'm living in Louisiana. I'm having lunch with a friend of mine who was always taking me to lunch, kind of mentoring me a little bit. We're sitting at Chili's, and the waiter comes. I wrote about it in the book we put out a few months ago. Um, he come, he, the waiter comes, and I said, hey, can I get a refill? He refilled. He walked off, and my friend looked at me, and he said, I've been meaning to tell you this for a while. I need to tell you, you're rude to waiters and waitresses. I've lived here a long time. I'm going to live here a lot longer. People in this town know me. If you don't start being nicer, I'm never having lunch with you again. I was like, yes, yes, sir. Uh, he said, listen, I love you, and I want to have lunch with you, but you're rude. I didn't even realize I was being rude. He said, you never say please and thank you. You never smile. You boss them around. 
He said, if you, I'm just, you either need to fix that or we're not going to be able to have lunch anymore. It was awkward. But you know what? I needed to hear it. It's an incredible conversation that we needed to have. And had he never told me, I would have never changed. And I would have been sitting at the table for the next 12 years with friends of mine embarrassing them and I didn't know it. Confrontation grows us. Compliments don't really do that. Growth is a series of hard conversations, so you better surround yourself with people who can handle it. You will always find a reason to be offended and to walk away when somebody's trying to make you better. When God is trying to challenge you and convict you and he's using a pastor or a leader or a small group leader or somebody in your life, you will always find a reason to be offended. Well, you don't understand. Well, that's not fair. You don't know me. and that's the, You will always find a reason to be offended and walk away. But if you will lean into the critique, if you will lean into the confrontation, I promise you it will grow you. I promise you. That's how muscles grow. You, I don't know this for a fact, but evidently you tear them. Not tear them, but you, build, you tear them down, and then they build back up. That's what people say. I don't know. Now, I'm not talking about putting yourself in position to just be constantly nagged and critiqued by somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who loves you and affirms you, but when they need to confront you, they can do that. Tell me what I need to know. Where are my blind spots? What do I not realize that I'm doing? Tell me when I'm prideful. Tell me when I'm being arrogant. Tell me when I didn't even realize I was doing that. I need you to make me better. And we can do that in our relationship with God. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 24, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So thank you, Jesus, for saying, like, hey, good job for not having an affair. But, like, he's not going to leave me there. He's going to say, Jason, you're doing so much better than you were six months ago, six years ago. But can we talk about this one thing? And I dealt with the one thing five years ago, but now he's got a new one thing. Because there's always something in our life that we're holding on to. Question number three. Are you willing to change? So you're asking questions or you want answers or affirmation. Are you willing to change because following Jesus is all about change. If you don't like change, you're not going to like Jesus and you eventually will not like the church. Romans 8:29 says for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, from the beginning of time it was God's plan to make you more like Jesus. Anybody in here like Jesus? No, you're not. So, that means that you are going to constantly be being conformed to be like Jesus. So when you wake up tomorrow, Jesus is going to be conforming you to be more like Jesus. God's going to be tweaking you to be more like Jesus, which means we never get to stay status quo. We never get to stay the same. So if you thought you were going to get saved and then fix all your problems in six months and then just coast, that's religion. That's not a relationship with Jesus. Are you willing to wake up every morning and say, search me, O God, know me, Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want extraordinary results, God, so I'm all in. What do we need to tweak? What do we need to change? And just so you know, we're always trying to change stuff around here at Hope City Church. If you don't like change, you're going to get upset with us because we're going to shake it up. 
because we just feel like it's too important to just lay stagnant. And so we're going to tweak it, change it, shake it up, paint a wall, knock a wall down. I mean, we're going to do, we're just going to keep changing it. And if you like a church doesn't change, there are hundreds in the city that you can go to. Your kids will hate it, but you'll love it. They'll go to college. They won't serve Jesus and they'll resent you. But you can go and love it. We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be the kind of church that says, whatever it takes to reach people that don't know Jesus, we're in. We're all in. So we're going to shake it up. We're going to change it. We're going to go against our preferences. Just so you know, there are times I don't get what I want. And I'm the pastor. That was a loud amen down there. Craig Rochelle says, Craig Rochelle says, the difference between where you are and where you want to be is the painful decision you are unwilling to make. The difference between where you are and where you want to be is the painful decision that you are unwilling to make. If it was easy, you would have done it a long time ago. It's hard. Last question, number four. Will you work on it or walk away? Will you work on it or walk away? So this young man walks up to Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, 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 but this one thing... And in Matthew 19, Jesus said, same story, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect. Now, he wasn't saying you would never have any problems. What he was saying is you would be all in. You will have addressed every area of your life. You will have been withholding nothing from me. That's what he meant by perfect. And so Jesus says, I, Jesus says, I know what your one thing is. So if you're ready, then let's talk about the one thing. You got too much money. You lo- not you have too much money. You love it. You love your money too much. Go sell it on. Give it to the poor. You'll get extraordinary blessings in heaven. You'll be all in. And the Bible says that the young man, when he heard this, turned away and walked away sad. You'll always find a reason to walk away. You'll always find a reason to withhold from God. You'll always find a reason to not go all in. You'll always find a reason to play it safe. But what if you said to God, God, I'm all in. Every part of me you can have, I'm all in. Withholding nothing from you, God, I am all in. I wrote this down this week. It's impossible to comprehend what God might set in motion through one act of brave obedience. It's impossible to comprehend what God might set in motion through one act of brave obedience. One act of brave obedience. So what's your one thing? Everybody's got one thing. Maybe maybe your one thing is fear. You just, you can't let go of fear, fear that something's gonna go wrong, fear that the world's going to end. You have trouble trusting God. Maybe it's anxiety. You just can't really give it to God and trust God completely. Maybe it's an addiction in your life. You're like, I just don't know that I can live without it. Maybe it's not an addiction or anything sinful, but there's these gray areas in your life. And you say, Jason, I don't know. There are just these areas. I think maybe alcohol is too important to me in my life. I think maybe money is too important. Money's not a sin. Alcohol is not a sin. Gambling's not a sin. But there's these gray areas where you say, I know that when God wants to go there, I get extra defensive about it. Because I don't know that I'm all in. 
maybe it's generosity and giving. You're like, look, I'm going to heaven and I follow Jesus, but I'm not tithing. I'm not giving him my money. Everybody's got one thing. Everybody's got one thing. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you can't actually release your kids to God and trust that he has them. And so you're hovering and you get defensive about it. Will you work on it or will you walk away? Will you work on it or will you walk away? And if you will work on it, if you'll push all the chips to the middle of the table, if you'll say, God, I'm all in, you are going to see extraordinary results in your life. You will begin to see extraordinary presence of God, extraordinary relationship, extraordinary marriage, extraordinary career. I'm not saying the rest of your life is going to be easy because guess what's going to happen in five or ten years or two years? Jesus is going to want to know if y'all could talk about that one thing. You got to decide all over again. Do I want extraordinary blessing on the other side of brave obedience or do I want to just stay status quo? Will I walk away? Or will I work on it? Let's pray. God.